morning. The reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 18, through to chapter 6, verse 9. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. <coughs> There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many, many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than heat. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Douglas. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, today and to share uh, God, God, uh, God's wonderful uh, news for me. So for, for you who don't know me, I, I'm also new. So uh, sometimes I don't know who is new here. Or, so if it's your first time, uh, uh, don't, don't be shy because for me also I'm getting used to, to the church as well and getting to know people. But you are welcome to join the team, and I'm happy that uh, we can get to know uh, one another, okay? So uh, we have been uh, in the series of Ecclesiastes, right? and um, it's good to, to hear that Pastor Clint is saying that uh, we still have uh, full seats, you know? I, I thought that through, throughout Ecclesiastes that we will see like a lot of empty seats by the end. Uh, but today also have good news. You see the uh, the title of the the sermon is "Enjoy Life Finally." So we have sunshine, no rain anymore, and now we can see uh, enjoy life while you can. Okay. But before we we, we go to the text, um, uh, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we give thanks because we know that uh, your word is a link to our feet, is a nourishment to our soul. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks because uh, you promised to be uh, very present with us, and especially here, as we gather together with your people, Father. Father, we pray that uh, you'll be able to conduct me and guide me uh, through your word, and uh, 
partake and bless your people and fill our hearts uh, with your everlasting love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, just before we, we proceed to the text, I want to pause and remind uh, what the teacher, which is the author of this letter. So, I will call the author of this letter teacher, okay? So, just bear in mind that uh, the author of this letter. But let's see some things that he talks about. We, ha we have seen that uh, this genre, Ecclesiastes in the Bible, I think is, is a reflective book. So what is the purpose of a reflective book? The reflection in our lives, it helps us, it's like uh, an onion, you know, which has many layers. So by reflecting, by asking this personal questions is that we understand that what is the core so the purpose of this book is to peeling this layer asking the questions so we can find out what is the core and the meaning uh, of life another thing is that he always mentioned that under the sun have you realized under the sun so this book is a realistic book. It means that no matter how we try to hide or escape from the reality, we still have to face it. We still have to be enlightened. We still have to face the truth. And another thing that Hugh mentioned as well in this passage is this. My engineering so it's incredible to see how kids are fa fascinated with bubbles, right? They love it. Every kid loves it. But as you grow as, uh, as an adult, nobody cares about that. And that's the point that Ecclesiastes is making, is that some things in life, Although, so a bubble is beautiful, but it cannot last. And as you try to get hold on it, of it, you still live with empty pain. So when he talks about empty, emptiness, is meaningless, is this uh, temporary thing that seems to be beautiful? But you try to get hold it and leaves you empty. Okay? So now we, we got to all these uh, technicalities. You know, he's like, oh, what does it mean under the sun? Or, you know, what does it mean meaningless? But now we are going to dig deeper and we are going to start to peel the onion. We say the onion theology in order to find the core, what our hearts, what humanity long for in life. And today we'll see that humanity is longing for one of the greatest goals of us is not just to live, but to enjoy our lives. So I was doing some research to find out about, you know, enjoyment, entertainment. And uh, I could realize that from the beginning, humanity is craving for joy is craving for satisfaction, is craving for happiness. And what I found out is that uh, we have come a long way. When you, when you imagine a Coliseum, right? People go there to Italy and they take nice pictures, you know, and now we see like the, the concerts, you know, it looks amazing. But do you know what, why Coliseum was made? It was made, uh, in 80 and Coliseum was this, this mega stadium, this, an arena, so people could watch, it was not a concert, they could watch gladiators, you know, fighting each other, or, or seeing human beings fighting with lions and bears. So humanity has always craved for entertainment, but we have come a long way, and many times entertainment is not ethical as well. But have we improved since the Coliseum? What kind of entertainment 
do we have today? You know, why we always look for entertaining our hearts and be joyful and rejoice. So I was thinking about some uh, correlation. You know? Nowadays, we don't have the Coliseum watching gladiators, but we have the UFC. People like seeing people fighting, you know. And, and nowadays, we don't see bears and lions eating people. But instead, we see bear gruels. Funny, right? <laughs> we don't see bears eating people, but we see the bear gruels uh, eating insects and animals. It's good that there was a twist there, you know. But you see, we are left on this entertaining, but the biggest question is, why we cannot be satisfied? Why as we much we try possible ways, Netflix, all of, all of these uh, uh, entertainments in our lives, we still ended up empty-handed. We still ended up dissatisfied. So that's the question that we are going to answer today, is through the passage. And in order to explain that, the, the teacher, which is the author, I try to think uh, that the, the author of this book is, is uh, King Solomon. We don't know whether it for fact it is, but we know that he's a rich person, it was a king, you know. But just to get ahead around, I like to, to, to see a person, you know, in order to understand uh, better the text. So the first, the, first, the first point for us, Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so the first point he made is enjoying life. And, and the teacher here, he will contrast two, two different lifestyles, two different people. One, that's laborers that have an ordinary life, that go to work, that works hard. And then he ended up enjoying life. And the other one who does perhaps the same thing or even more, and he doesn't have the same outcome but we we will try to to see how how he mentioned it it is hard to understand how this teacher can lecture us now after after reading through whole ecclesiastes some people may find a bit depressing and we, we imagine we say how can this teacher talks to us now and lectures to us now about enjoyment how can what it feels like a person who is in the brink or of a meltdown and seems to be always talking about darkness, all about meaningless, can talk anything about, can teach us how to enjoy life. Have you seen the movie, The Joker, where he tries to make jokes and nobody laughs, you know? So it's the same thing here. But when we think carefully, what, what the teacher is thinking, he's, asking, he's actually in the search and pursuit of true meaning of life and joy. So it is not funny and ironically that sometimes people think the same thing of Christians. They think that today we are sitting here, you know, it seems that uh, why, why you waste your time, you know? Why, why we're thinking about all these things of life? And, and for me, when I see these teachers, the way that society looks at Christians, as if uh, we don't enjoy now, so we can enjoy later. But actually what the Bible will say today is that God's purpose for us is to enjoy life right now in the present. But let's get some facts right about Christianity. Are we a boring people, you know? Let, let's get some facts right. When we see God, when crea he created the, the earth in order, you know, we see that human beings were the, the last work of God on the six days. Sometimes we may ask, why, why God didn't create human first? If humans were supposed to be the pinnacle, which the Bible describes in, in Genesis 1.31, that after he created man, 
God says is very, very good. You know, was really good. The pinnacle of all creation. Was was not the first one. Have you seen Elon Musk? Elon Musk, he, he tries to persuade people and say, let's make it happen. Let's go to Mars, you know. But when you see the picture of Mars, it's just like red, red dust. Would you, would you be happy if you were placed there, you know? Would be excited. Yeah, it's hard to get excited. And, and, and people say, yeah, let's go there. You know, it's living the bubble, you know. And, uh, but, but that's the reason God created humans in the last uh, day of his work. He created everything. The sun, the sea, uh, the earth, the trees. Because God did not create us in a vacuum. He created a garden, a paradise. He provided his generous in order so that Adam and Eve could enjoy life. So God did not deprive us of anything. That's why enjoying life now, it is appropriate. Because God made everything for us, for us to see him and to enjoy him. But the second fact is, uh, we can, uh, Christians can enjoy life because as, as we see today, did you know that uh, uh, weekends, let's talk about weekends. Many countries who were not influenced by Christianity, they don't have even weekends. They have maybe o only one day off. But for me, like I lived in Japan, uh, there was no day off, you know. So sometimes we take things for granted. We, 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 we think that uh, who created uh, uh, weekends, you know. As, as we come from a Jewish Christian culture, we know that the Jewish started from the Sabbath. And then the Christian says, okay, let's add one more Sunday, you know. So nobody can say that Christians don't like to enjoy life. Another thing, uh, look in Australia. If you see the support services, the no welfare, we see in the 19th century in Australia was a big push towards the government, you know, to increase the the life, uh, the you know, the the quality of life, you know, the welfare. In many institutions, what we have, you no know, Anglicare, Presscare, everything that has care in the end is a Christian organization. So nobody can say that Christianity is not in the pursuit of a better life and enjoying life right now. Look at our Lord Jesus. Who can tell us what was the first miracle and where was performed? Jesus went to the wedding, a party. And then what he made? He made the water turn into wine. What a cool savior we have. Don't you think Jesus don't want to enjoy life? Of course he wants. He enjoyed a party, you know. He enjoyed being there. Of course there is a meaning behind. But we will unpack this later. And now I'll, I'll give you a, a, a personal example in my life. Uh, how sometimes even people who are non-Christians, they understand that we like to enjoy life. I was in Japan, you know, I was a, when my wife and I were getting married and getting things ready. And then we tried to book a buffet, you know. But you know, right? I was uh, studying the seminary in Japan and budget was tight. So we were looking for a, a nice bargain. And we tried to bargain, you know, trying to find a buffet. And we find this, found uh, one guy. And this manager came to us. And then before we say anything, he, he asked, are you a Christian or not? The buffet. And then I, I, I thought, okay. Uh, he's, why he's asking me if he's a Christian, you know, because he's not conducting my wedding. It, it could be that maybe... He's, he wants to know my dietary requirements. But the question was not whether or not 
uh, I was allergic to some. He asked us, are you a Christian or not? And you know, I say, why? Why you want to know that if I'm Christian or not? And then he told me, oh, you know this Japanese guy? Be because because non-Christians drink a lot. But you guys eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he wanted to know the, the amount of food, you know? <laughs> and it's not true. We like a fellowship. We like talking. You know, we, we like getting together. We, we love enjoying life. So there is a misconception that uh, if you are a Christian, life is to be enjoyed just after you die. But looking at the facts, it doesn't say so. But he proceeds now. He says, okay, there is this guy. He works and he can enjoy life. But the key verse here is that who makes this person enjoy life? It, it, it is in verse uh, in verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So this guy who can enjoy lives, he can only enjoy because it is a gift from God. But now the teacher will contrast the other scenery. And he will give three case scenarios for, for us to work of a person who works, who works hard, who has a lot of stuff, and he cannot enjoy life. So this is our uh, second, second point. Oh, yes. So the more you have does not mean the better. You know, in Brazilian culture, we say the more we have is the better. So when we invite someone to a party, you cannot count on only one person. Because this person will invite his friend, and his friends will invite his friends. So once we make a party, we need to count at least four or more people for one person. But this, this mathematics does not work in real life. The more does not mean the better. And that's the point that uh, we will see here. Uh, but first, bef before, before we proceed, I have to talk, we, we saw the elections, right? We saw uh, people trying to convince I'll do better things. And, and, uh, so I need to talk about capitalism. But I'm not here to persuade you to be capitalist or socialist. I need to talk about capitalism because it is the pattern, it is the system that we live right now, okay? There is some assumptions that I have seen many Christians do that I, I, I think is it's, uh, it's, uh, it's erroneous. For example, many Christians think that capitalism are in line with Christianity. And, and this is the same assumption to make, to make that we think that Western culture is equals to Christian culture. So there are things in capitalism in the Bible, but there are things in capitalism that are not biblical at all. Okay, but I'm just mentioning this because uh, I need to explain to you what system, and this system try to make you to, to think that the more you have is the better. Okay, let's see, let's see if that's not the truth. So, uh, have you seen this, uh, that now we buy, you know, who has, uh, do you know we have AliExpress, Wish, all these apps to buy, you know, we can buy just by a click. Even Maggie, you know, Maggie, when she was two years old, and then she told me, oh, can I buy this dress? I said, no, I can't, I can't give you. I, I don't have money now, okay? I said, but you have cards, you know? It's just step. 
So, so it's so easy to buy. So living in a, in a capitalist society, it makes us to feel that the more you have, the more you buy, the more things you have, the more stuff you accumulate, it is the better. For students today, for young people today, do you know you live under a, a pressure? Because the pressure nowadays is that the more you study, the more you earn, right? So the more is the better. The more is the better, which is totally the opposite that, this, that he will describe later about this case scenario, that not always the more is the better. And he will give these three scenarios. First, from chapter, uh, from verse six, uh, from verse one to six of chapter six, he will says that he will mention that um, he will mention this guy who had plenty of wealth, plenty of possession, status, you know, position, and then he says that uh, the at the end of his life. He cannot spend his money. And actually his money goes to a stranger. And he says that the second scenario, it is that a, a person who has hundreds of children, and then after having hundreds of children, he doesn't have anyone in the end of his life to look after him. The third scenario is when he mentions a person who lived thousands of years, and over thousands of years, so has longevity, live a long time, and he can still not enjoy life. Did you see the progression? A man who has plenty of money, a man who has hundreds of children, and a man who has thousands of years. So the more doesn't mean the better. Do you know what he's saying here? He's trying to use this uh, bubble, this bubble analogy that everything is meaningless. That the more you have is like a, a bubble, you know? W when you try to grab it, it still leaves you with empty hands. Have you wondered why people who are in the top, people who has money, uh, people who are popular, you know, when they reach to the top, they see nothing there. You know, that's why we see so many drug problems, you know, so many, like uh, uh, Johnny Depp and Heard, you know, big thing for the youth now to follow. You know, this conflict, you know, this disaster, this chaos, you know, as much people have, it's, it's like that they try to grasp these things and in the end, your life is still meaningless and empty. And that's the connection that this book also makes from the beginning, from the root. In the beginning was emptiness, was void, was purposeless, was without meaningless. So what is the meaning of life? And it, it is a bit contradicting here because in the first scenario, he says God is the giver, right? But in this scenario, he says God is not giving this person the ability and the power to enjoy life. But it seems to be that God is like this person, you know, haha, I will give you, you know, if you please me, you know, I will. But I don't think that's what the Bible is saying, and, and we will see this uh, later. So another, another example that the more you have, you know, and uh, the more you, you, the better. Have you seen these ads on TV? The ads on TV that uh, uh, show this amazing product. It's, oh, it's revolutionary, you know, this knife, you know, can cut through the bone, you know, can cut through the soul, you know. It, it's like, it, it makes you feel that if I don't have this, like, my life is not the same. Yes, and that's what they say. They say, no, if, if you buy one, you get one free. They say, oh, definitely I'm going to buy. Because the more is the better, right? And, and third thing, 
they will say, look, if you buy this, we promise you satisfaction guarantee. Who, who, who has fallen into this trap in our life? I, I have fallen. I have seen my parents. And then the, my parents bought this product, you know. Wow, it's going to... And guess what? It doesn't work. It doesn't do... What is the satisfaction? <laughs> so instead of being satisfied, it is worse. It left us empty, you know, meaningless. So what the, the Bible is saying is that all these things that we are promised, you know, education, career, like we see uh, last, last Sunday, you know, that, you know, uh, there is no such a dream job, you know. There's no such a thing. It seems to be that everything that we can touch will provide you a satisfaction guarantee. But the teacher is thinking, no, actually it's not. Things you, you thought that would you bring you joy and satisfaction was, was actually a, a, a misleading, a misinformation, you know. It, it led you to the opposite. That's why I like this book. But the teacher goes on. Now, now he's not going to say that, uh, address the matter, that the more you have is the better. He will address the issue and he will use a food, you know, he use this appetite. And it's not the first time that he has mentioned about food. In verse 18 of chapter 5, he'll say, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. You see, Christianity, it is us, food, food and drink. And now, and now he will mention again in verse, in verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet this appetite is never satisfied. So now he starts to deal with the issue that when what you have is never enough. So he will mention about this uh, appetite. And for me to understand this, for us to understand this, is that uh, we all have appetite. When he says appetite in food, he's giving an analogy of our desires, of what we long for. And we, once we understand and think that this teacher might be King Solomon, and when we study First Kings and we study Ecclesiastes, we see that Solomon experienced at least what I can see is five, uh, five things. First, Solomon was the wealthiest man in the earth. He, he was leading Israel. He took Israel when all the promises land, all the promises was already conquered. So he enjoyed all this wealth. Second, power. Solomon was the, had the greatest uh, nation in his time. He was the most powerful man. All the nations feared Israel. Third, he tries to find joy. And he, he was the guy who had 1,000 wives. Imagine. 1,000 wives and concubines. So... He had this all uh, amount of relationship, you know. And fourth, we, when we see kings, he tries to find happiness on the bottom of a bottle. He tries to find happiness in drinking. And the fifth one is that this king Solomon, he was the most knowledgeable man in the entire earth in his time. We see the accounts in First King that all the nations used to come in to have a consultation, to ask him about things. But guess what? If, if Solomon is this guy in First Kings who had all these great accomplishments, and if he is the teacher now, who now is thinking, okay, 
I try to get hold of all these things. And I try to have not only one wife, thousands wives, you know, but it was never enough to satisfy my desire, my longing. I tried to have power. It didn't work. I was more powerless than ever before. And now that's why he's questioning here. It is like meaningless. It's like trying to catch a bubble, which is beautiful, but it's not long-lasting. And when you try to grab it, you live with emptiness and loneliness and dissatisfaction. So, although Solomon uh, had this appetite, you know, in, uh, in hunger and thirsty to be satisfied, we can see that uh, there, there is a pattern, you know, there is a pattern in people's lives that we, we, we think that if we get something, you know, if we get a hold of something, that you will truly bring enjoyment uh, in life. I'll, I'll explain one thing. I was working, and then uh, I used to work in a car yard before, and I had this uh, co-worker who always come to me, and he, and he told me, oh, if I need a raise. I need a salary raise. And uh, he was always telling that if I had a salary raise, I would be much happier. I would enjoy life, you know. And guess what? One day, finally, he got this raise he was expecting. Oh, he was so happy. Say, oh, man, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy this. And guess what? After a month, he came to me and said, oh, no, I need a little bit more. I need to earn a little bit more. You know, when, when this, this uh, feeling that the, you have but is never enough, and it's interesting because this is the picture of hell. When we see Luke 16, from verse 19 to 31, we will see that there is a rich man who is in hell. But the interesting thing is that people think hell is just this fire, you know, a few hot, you know. But people take literally, but actually in Luke 16, it's not a literal fire, you know. It, it is actually a rich man who is very thirsty, who, who has this unquenchable thirst in hell, in which cannot be quenched, cannot be satisfied, and he begs Abraham. He said, please, please, can you get me just a sip of water? So sometimes people think that you can only leave heaven after you die. But the Bible wants to live right now, wants to enjoy life right now with God. But also sometimes people think that people will, will, will face hell only after they die. But when we see life, that people have this thirst, that they, they, they look like hell, you know, never is enough. Never is sufficient, you know. You drink water, but this water never satisfied. This is a picture of living hell on earth. Okay. So after all, you might say, wow, although the title says enjoy life, it disappointed us because it seems to be that the tone that he's, he's giving us, it's, it's about, there is no hope. But actually, there is a hope. And this is what we will see, not in here, but we will see in John 4 and John 6. So, I'll just summarize for you. John 4, do you remember Jesus met the Samaritan woman? And then uh, he was there, you know, and... I, I like the way Jesus is very humble to approach people. You know, he didn't say, oh, I have this amazing thing, the living water, that if I can give you, oh, I know everything, you know. But he used this uh, humble approach, and, and he comes to this lady, the Samaritan woman, and he say, can I have a drink, you know, can I? So it's, it's kind of, he's relying on her, 
you know, first he's like showing her, you know, strengthening her, you know, lifting her up, you know, can you, can you provide me something? But actually, the Bible, when the Bible is mentioned that Jesus is this, you know, the appetite, how do we, how do we tame our hunger? How do we quench our thirst? And it's funny because Jesus offered the Samaritan woman the living water. This, we, this woman was longing for true love. She had four husbands. And, and she was trying to find love in, in, in a human being. The true love. It's not that you cannot get married. You cannot have friends. But she was trying to find this true perfect love on, on someone, on a person. And as much as she tried, as much as she changed the partner, she, she ended up living with empty hands. But Jesus offers to her, Jesus says, I am the living water. I am the one who can truly love you unconditionally and respectfully. So Jesus at the end is what we long for. And also John chapter 6 it makes sense now. Why Jesus is just feeding the 5,000 people, you know? First, people didn't deny their physical needs. That's what we need to understand. It doesn't mean that we have Jesus, so that's it. Jesus really cared for them. The disciples even tried to break. No, it's going to be so expensive to, to feed all these people. Just send them home, you know? But just say no. It's our responsibility to provide for people's physical needs on earth. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus, in the end, he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat from me, you'll be hunger no more. Jesus was talking about a, a, a spiritual hunger. This desire... That can only be fulfilled and met in the person of Jesus. So, life is not about what you have and what can you acquire. Life is about who you have. In Jesus, you can have true love. In Jesus, we can have security. In Jesus, as we read today, he is able to empathize with our sufferings. In Jesus... We cannot uh, try to make yourself up because he accepts us unconditionally. In Jesus, we have this, our thirsty and our hunger being met through him, through our God. So now, we see uh, that Jesus also, he mentions about the manna, right? When he explains that the about he's the bread and they said do you remember the manna when israel was in the desert you know and the manna come from heaven you know what jesus was trying to to show and explain to them what was the meaning of the manna is that god will supply for us directly from him what is lasting what, we, what is everlasting joy, as we see in verse 20 of chapter 5, for he, uh, of Ecclesiastes, for he will not, not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. You see, when the Bible talks about, about joy, there is two different things. In life, there is moments of joy. There is like, oh yes, I have this great moment. But what the Bible says is that God keeps people joyful. So one thing is to have moments of joy. But what Jesus is offering is an everlasting joy, you know. It is a joy that it, it, it transcends the times we are in darkness. And that's why I think this book is so precious because it seems to be that he's in darkness, but there is a light, you know. He's trying to dig deeper 
to understand what our hearts long for. And when we see Jesus is presenting himself as the, the living water and, 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 the, and the bread of life, we see that our lives, we can uh, be met in Jesus. So the manna was a way that God directly supplied. There was no mediator, right? There is no middleman, you know, was directly from God. Do you know that everything we have on earth, it is through God's creation, right? We get everything through God's creation. But Eden, uh, Eden and heaven will be amazing because there will be no middle term. God will be the source of joy. Not because of what he gives, but for who he is. He is the source of life. He is the tree of life. Did you remember in the Eden there were two trees? The tree of life and the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So it makes sense to think that why Jesus is saying, I am the tree and you are the branches, right? Because he is the source of life. He is what we long for. He is the person that our hearts was made for. To relate to Jesus. To enjoy him, you know, and see his worth. Just to, to conclude, uh, I want to read Revelation chapter 22. So, in my Bible, it says, sorry, I'll read NIV because I forgot to put here in ESV. So, in my title, is Eden Restored. So, it means that there will be a re, uh, like a, a recreation of Eden, right? In heaven now. Talk about the future. But for me, I think that the heaven is not Eden restored. The way I see here. The way I see here is that heaven is much better than Eden. Do you, you, and you will see why. Chapter 22 of Revelation from verse 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the land. Down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing to elf crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lame will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you know why, why, what the Bible is saying? Is that sometimes we try to find fulfillment in what God has created, in creation. But actually our fulfillment in life is in the, in the creator. And in Revelation, it, did you see there will be no sun, there will be so... There will be nothing there in heaven? No. Because now God provides so his creation, but in heaven we will see him face to face. The God who died for you. The God who, who neglected his life to give you a new life so that we can relate back to him. If today you are here and you have wondered, I'm trying many things to find fulfillment, purpose, and whatever I try, whatever I think, it leaves me with empty hand. Perhaps today is the day that we can question ourselves. Have, do you know what you need? 
Do you think that it is what you need or have you seen that who you need? Because the Bible is, is presenting here that the, the greatest thing, our greatest desire is to be with God, is to be in the presence of this amazing God who is the fountain of life, satisfaction, and love. So just to finish, uh, I want to share some thoughts about the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, uh, so what's the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What's the chief aim of man? Right? And they nail it. Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy God. Enjoy Him. Not what He has given us. Of course, what He has given us is wonderful, but to enjoy Him. In Augustine, some people say Augustine was a reckless creature, you know, was a crazy guy. But I feel Augustine was like uh, here, was like this teacher, you know, was like us, that sometimes we fail, sometimes we, we try to pursue life and, and we lose it. And, and he wrote this, he wrote a poem. Uh, Nevertheless, to praise you is the desire of humanity, a little piece of your creation. You stir humankind to make pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's what Augustine. And the last one is from Longman Tramper. It's a theologian. The Bible is not only a book that prepares for death, Yet the Bible is the place we meet and develop a relationship with Jesus who offers abundant life. So Jesus is this abundant life that we long for. No matter, no matter what you think, that uh, working with young people, I always hear some young people say, oh, my studies is my life. You know, this is my life. But whatever you make your life, apart from Jesus, will leave you like the bubble. Will leave you with emptied hand. Jesus is what we long for. He made us for him and we are his. How enjoyable it is, no? To have a savior that does not deprive us from good things. He provides all things. But also, all things that he provided, it is to show who we need. And we need our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you.